next scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined once again by my twin brother, Eric. We are here with a very, uh, it's going to say an episode that's very near and dear to our heart with a director that we quite like in Andre Overdahl, who is a Norwegian director, and we're going to kind of go over a little bit of his uh, catalog from his career. Eric, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling really good, and I want to take a quick um quick break from the horror podcast and just want to uh congratulate you on an achievement that you had today (laughs) and uh, that was completing the zurich marathon in a time of two hours and 48 minutes you did a great job and i want to congratulate you you should be proud and i want our viewers to to know that you accomplished something today and uh that you did a great job well thanks air uh yeah i'm i was very happy with the result i also tried to take a nap about an hour after i finished and i literally couldn't because my legs hurt too much so <laughs> uh i'm at a i'm at a kind of painful point in my day but i am mentally refreshed and ready to get into podcasts so i'm uh, i appreciate you bringing that up and i'm very happy with it so yeah i've had a good day so far all right i'm glad to hear it and uh just to segue us back now into the horror podcast uh, there is one running related horror movie I've seen. It's called, if, in case that fl- idea floats your boat, it's called The Human Race. And the premise is that a group of 80 people are ripped out of their daily lives and they all reappear in an undisclosed location. These people are from all walks of life, young, old, athletic, disabled, white collared and homeless. The rules to a race boom in their heads in their own voice and language, laying out what will become a horrific race of terror. (laughs) Interesting. If you are lapped twice, you die. If you step off the path, you die. If you touch the grass, you die. Race or die. Well, and you've you've seen this one or this is just I have seen this one. Hey, can you give me over overall thoughts? Because that sounds extremely interesting. It sounds very goofy, but it sounds like it'd be fun. I feel bad for even creating this segue because I'm instantly going to recommend not watching it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if you really like are in love with that concept, it's it's a way to kill an hour and a half. Okay. I, I, I kind of really do like that concept. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know the premise of it. I know Stephen King also has a game show running related book. That's called The Running Man, and it was adapted to a movie. I've never seen either, but I know it's it's also with running that we're kind of talking. So, um, okay, getting back to the topic on hand, though, Andre Overdahl, he is a Norwegian director, and Eric, you're going to start us off with his first movie. But before we do, I just wanted to bring up a quote that he was said about this movie, and that movie is going to be Troll Hunter from 2010. Uh, a really funny quote that I liked from him. He said, "I allowed the actors the freedom to say whatever they wanted, as long as they didn't say what was in the script." period <laughs> yes that's a great quote and it uh you can it makes more sense because this movie actually employed a bunch of semi-popular norwegian comedians so uh giving them the opportunity to improvise the script especially in what we're going to be describing as a found footage type of movie gives it like an authenticity that makes it feel a little bit more realistic mm-hmm. agreed all right so troll hunter this is a film that came out in 2010 And the basic idea is a group of students investigating a series of mysterious bear killings, uh, but they quickly learn that there are much more dangerous things going on. They start to follow a mysterious hunter, learning that he is actually a troll hunter. 
as you can tell by the title of the movie, uh, <laughs> we get right into it. Um, they do a pretty good job of setting this up. Um, with So basically their idea is in Norway, the bear population is regulated by the government. And so initially these this group of college kids thinks this guy is a poacher and he's killing bears when he's not supposed to be. So they're trying to like interview him and follow him around to catch him in the act. And uh, obviously you can tell from the title that's not quite what he's after. And Eric, can you remind me, it's been a little bit, they're kind of investigative journalism wannabes, right? They're not like, you know, they're maybe journalism students. I know they're not like professionals about oh, yeah. it. So they're, yeah, they're college students and they're doing this for one of their like film study classes. Okay, that's, um, okay, that's what I was thinking. Something like yeah, that. far far from professionals. It's more like a group of friends with a camera and like a, a boom stick. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, the I think the best thing about this movie is where it's set, which is in Norway, because you've got Norway is just like a beautiful country, um, mm-hmm. and it so easily and quickly turns from countryside into mountains into dense forests. So you just get so many different environmental settings that allow for the movie to just be play out in a way that you get like so many different combinations of things and uh that'll that'll make more sense as i kind of talk about this movie uh we're gonna try to do this mostly spoiler free this is a movie that i highly recommend watching if you have not seen it um it's it's super fun uh it's one of the better found footage movies i can i can point to um i think some people would probably categorize it as like fantasy action above horror but it's definitely got <laughs> horrific elements to it and with plenty um, plenty of comedy like you mentioned the that the main two or main couple characters are, are pretty popular comedians so yes. a lot, definitely a lot of comedy yes and uh so this movie operated on a two million u.s dollar budget and it is shocking how small that is for what they're able to do because um, the visuals look truly great they mm-hmm. really do, uh, especially for being a nine years old at this point and that small of budget coming out of Norway. Uh, they did an incredible job visually with it. Um, and one one thing, another reason I just recommend watching this is because you don't really, at least in America, we're not privy to like troll lore or like Norwegian folklore specifically. Like I feel like for most media purposes, we just see them as these giant, stupid figures who... Uh, or we hear, I guess you're familiar with the Billy Goats Gruff and they go under bridges and steal goats and steal people. Oh yeah, that was one of our favorite stories when we were little. But this uh, this movie does a pretty good job of uh, really diving into the lore of trolls and we're presented with different kinds of trolls, different names. There's woodland versus mountain versus uh, each one having their own specific characteristics, their own specific strengths, their own specific weaknesses. And uh, that just is pretty interesting because it's not a uh, a monster that you kind of see adapted very often outside mm-hmm. of the the main just troll. And so that's pretty fun because you get a you get you get actually you get a couple callbacks to Norwegian folklore. Uh, I won't say specifically because we're trying to say spoiler free, but mm-hmm. there's a couple that you can pick out on like, oh, they're uh, they're doing a little nod to this, so um, I don't I don't know how much more I can say without getting too spoilery. I mean, like I said, it's a great found footage movie. The interactions between the college students and the troll hunter um, 
it just feels like authentic. Mm-hmm. It's like a, there's a natural progression of how things start when it seems very lighthearted that they're maybe doing a good deed and trying to out this uh, bear poacher and that uh, slow dissension into realizing what kind of situation they're in that this seemingly mythological creature is not only real but very ready to cause them harm so yeah well said and one thing i'd add with this movie that if you like um if you like people getting comeuppance for having skepticism about something or being like insistent that something isn't one way and they don't really know this is a fun movie for that because i think our protagonists definitely start off with once they once he kind of tells them what he's actually doing, they're very skeptical and are like, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll just keep following this kind of loon around." But uh, it's definitely a movie because I, I mentioned this with uh, Aterados from 2018, like experts who get uh, they're in over their head or they think they know something but they don't actually. So I think that's a, a little fun thing you get with this movie. Yeah, and uh, I really really like the actor who portrays the troll hunter. He does a really good job. He's like a. Uh... He's kind of like a badass version of the ship captain from Jaws. Like you, you take him a lot more seriously. He isn't. He's less of a joke. Mm-hmm. Like he's got that hardened veteran. Yeah, yeah. He's very design. direct. Very direct for sure. Yeah. So high, highly recommend this movie. It's super fun. Uh, basically, anybody, even if you're not a fan of the genre, can enjoy this. So if you're kind of uh, if you're a fan of the horror genre, but you've got some friends or significant others who don't love it. Uh, quite as much as you this is definitely a good movie to watch with them because you can really really enjoy this especially as a group uh watching it you can kind of put yourself in the shoes of the college students like oh man what what would it be like to be in this situation so mm-hmm. definitely getting a big recommendation from our our podcast uh yeah i absolutely recommend one thing i would note if you're someone who is very averse to subtitled movies this is norwegian language as well um i i have absolutely no problem with a movie with subtitles i I love watching it in its original language uh dubs are almost always terrible uh so if that if you're a person who really hates subtitles this one's gonna have subtitles just maybe as a warning but yeah definitely a clean recommendation for me and we kind of so this came out in 2010 we just randomly happened upon it in 2011 right like i don't know why we would have watched it pretty soon after it came out. Cause I don't know if it had an incredibly big buzz. No, uh, it didn't. It didn't because I, so I, I mean, it technically did debut in the U S but it had like a hundred, I think it was like $50,000 debut. Um, okay. And I, I can't imagine it would have been on any sort of streaming service at that time, which actually would have probably mostly been non-existent. So yeah, you had Netflix, but in the very early days of their streaming, it was still mostly the envelope delivery system back in 2011. Yeah, which is inarguably the worst way to watch the ABC series Lost. Just FYI. <laughs> oh yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I remember because oh, they had streaming service, but the Wi-Fi in our dorm in college was so atrociously bad that trying to watch an hour-long episode or a 40-minute episode of Lost, whatever it was, would take like two hours if you're trying to stream. So we always were doing the DVDs. We'd watch like the three episodes that came on the disc and we had already had sent for the other one. The timing never worked out. Oh man, the the olden days of not having ease of access to everything. I think it was about season four. We started to have the conversation of, do we really want to get the next disc? (laughs) Yeah. And we, we kept, we kept getting them. That was like our show freshman year of college. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh blast from the past all right yeah so clean recommendation from both of us on 2010's troll hunter which essentially was his debut um debut into the both the genre and also kind of as a big director you know this wasn't by you know it wasn't necessarily a huge movie but it definitely put him on the map as it's become a bit of a cult cult favorite here a lot of really big fans of it and it 
it with another movie we're going to talk about has made us very excited for 2019's adaption, adaptation rather, of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is why we're doing this podcast, because this movie's coming up soon, and we've liked, uh, really liked two movies from him before, and then we watched a short that we're going to talk about now for the pod today. It's called Tunnelin, which is the tunnel in Norwegian, and this is a 2016 kind of sci-fi horror short film I think it only clocks in at about 12 minutes long. And yeah, Eric, so this is also your first experience with it, just watching for the pod, correct? Yes, it is. And when you say 12 minutes, it's it's listed as 12 minutes, but it's got like a nine and a half minute runtime with like a post credit scene. So before we even talk about it whatsoever, if uh, you have any interest, just go watch it. It's 10 minutes. If you can't find 10 minutes in your day, then what are you doing listening to this podcast? So I, I agree. What, 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 there, there was a post credit scene. No, it's not a post-credit scene, but they have like this uh, nice little like presentation at the end that makes it look a little, little cool. Not like a scene, but more just like. Uh, oh well, I missed that. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. You have to let me know kind of what it is as we're because we're gonna do a full breakdown of this. It's so short, we're not gonna avoid spoilers here. Um, yeah, so this is called The Tunnel it's from 2016. Again, it's Nor- it's a Norwegian language film, but with subtitles. It's you can watch it on YouTube. Um, it opens with a family in a car coming home from a vacation or a, d- a day at the beach, pretty much. And I want to give a quick shout out to the family for watching chess. I really liked that. I, uh, I think it's probably because you know at this time the Norwegian ch- uh, world ch- or the, the world chess champion is Norwegian Magnus Carlsen. So he's pretty popular there, and so I thought that was a little nice fun nod that they're watching chess in their futuristic car. I was, I was going to ask Alex, the chess expert, if he could tell who was playing in that game. Oh, I I, I should have looked more. It looked a bit older, so I, I, I it looked maybe. Like like 80s or 90s based on the video quality but uh i'd have to go go back and look maybe (laughs) yeah so that was just a little fun thing yeah and like i said they're in a futuristic car we're definitely in a bit of a futuristic uh, setting or at least a setting where there's a lot of technological advances you can see this really big city looming in the distance with massively tall skyscrapers Um, an overhead shot really shows that we're in the future because you see all these cars that are look like self-driving they're in a really really tight single file lines and the traffic is just absolutely horrendous like i mean it's yeah some of the worst traffic i've ever seen living in kansas city it's never that bad no not like uh, some of the other cities around the u.s no and, and when you say uh, like futuristic i think we have to make clear that it's very dystopian as well uh, yes and that comes and, up uh, directly yeah yeah and so as you mentioned they're coming home from this vacation type thing but then they get to this bridge and it's these cars they're like packed in like sardines there's there's basically no no room to move it almost you could view it like they're on a conveyor belt just getting closer and closer to what we uh we find out is this tunnel and one of the my favorite things about this short is the way that it jumps from like this playful jovial relationship inside the car between the parents and the kids Mm -hmm. to like the parents looking outside and kind of gauging their situation yeah it would just flip like a switch Mm -hmm. and the uh, most harrowing moment we uh we kind of see a sign uh, right next to the tunnel that says um end the death tunnel right that's all that's pretty much the only information we're given whatsoever outside of small context clues you can pick up that's the only direct information we've given to like what this situation is yeah yeah 
And I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, you also get so like introducing the mystique of the tunnels. They have the close of death tunnels uh, graffiti, and they also have the daughter um, just before telling her mom, "Oh, I'm not scared of the tunnels, mom." Like you know, and like I think she's just trying to put on a brave face because the parents are putting on a brave face for their kids too because they they clearly know that something is either you know threatening to them that comes with this tunnel there's something to be a bit afraid of they're putting on a brave face for their kids but you can tell they are sharing a lot of furtive glances like you know looking really uncomfortable and something is up yeah and uh so i think at this point it's uh it's easy to presume that there's some sort of serious threat upon entering the tunnel and it you it begs the question you've got so many cars in this line what uh like what how has their society gotten to this point where like so many people have to go through like a tunnel like this like is there some sort of uh controlling force or overlord who's saying okay everybody has to go through here and then either there's going to be some sort of judgment or there's some sort of force that you have to deal with but that's this is the the idea behind this short is that it doesn't answer any of those questions for right. you. It wants you to kind of formulate your own opinions, which is pretty fun. Yeah, which I definitely have some thoughts that I want to get to kind of as we wrap this up. I have a few more points that I want to note on. Um, the acting here is just really, really superb, especially with the parents, because you feel really tense once they finally get into the tunnel. Like it feels like you're claustrophobic, you're scared, like you don't really know why, but you're just, you're tense and you're uncomfortable like they are. Like they really make it a tense atmosphere and uh, you're in this tunnel and they've had these this foreshadowing that you know that something is off of the tunnel and it's uh, very, very creepy and very tense. And I thought the, the tension building was very, very good. Yes, I agree. Um, we get like a little cute, uh, little glancing relationship between the the little boy and a girl in the car next door to him Mm -hmm. um just kind of it's another way to kind of switch the tension from uh, or switch the mood from tense to kind of lighthearted, and then very quickly (laughs) back to tense yep yeah i like i like that a glimmer of innocence and love between these these kids and the contrast with the bleak intense atmosphere of the rest of the movie i thought that was a little nice touch because then it's also Um, So the family starts to panic a bit because they are getting very close to the end of the tunnel, but then somebody halts their line in front of them because they're trying to change lanes, which they're not supposed to do. And so like the two lanes in the middle aren't moving while all the other lanes are still moving. And um, you get the tension really building, kind of crescendoing into where they're right next to the door and the doors start to close and their car is just on the other side. So they make it out of the tunnel, door closes behind them. And the only, I mean... The only thing we have an idea of what happens in this tunnel, so the, obviously the, the tunnel closes with cars in it. And earlier when the tunnel opened for all these cars to come through, it was empty. So we all, we, you know, it's, it's called, a, you know, the, the graffiti said close the death tunnels. They're called death tunnels by some people. You can just kind of assume that anybody who is in that tunnel when it closes is not coming back, which is a pretty gosh darn bleak, <laughs> bleak kind of, uh, yeah, idea of what they're doing as a society. Well, so Eric, do you have any thoughts about, about that? Cause I have a few that I, we might kind of overlap a bit. Well, like even more bleak to me was just like the flooding of relief over the parents face as they realized they made it through, uh, which begs the question, how many times have they been through the tunnel before? Right, because the the whole idea of the death tunnel is is absurdly bleak by itself. But like, if that's your daily reality, you like it's almost getting into the territory of uh, spoilers of uh, the Prestige 
not knowing which one's going to go into the box. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, so one thing I thought that like, so obviously the tunnel is going into this huge city. Um, and I say huge, like the buildings are huge, but it also is a limited area because all everything around it seems to be pretty desolate. So an idea I had was that potentially these tunnels are a really brutal means to an end for overpopulation. Like they're, they're, if people want to travel outside the city, they have to assume some sort of risk because the city can't really hold everybody. So anytime someone travels out, there's a potential risk for just being killed. <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of a thought I had. It's like I said, the, the movie or like Eric said, I guess the movie leaves a lot to your imagination. That's something that kind of jumped to me as, as being a possibility. Does that, uh, how does that kind of vibe with your feeling of the, the short Eric? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say necessarily for population control. It's certainly for some sort of power dynamic control. It might be like you could kind of compare it to like other dystopian things like Hunger Games, where it's there's some sort of uh, power in charge that wants like to remind the lower class or the working class that they've got no power and they shouldn't should just kind of feel like lemmings mm, as okay. they advance through life just those death tunnels are reminders that literally any day they can just choose to end it for you okay um, i like that it's it's because the city is huge like the shots of the city that we see like make it look incredibly large um and it seems i i don't know if i can buy into the like if you just want to leave the city because i don't think anybody would ever leave the city then like well i think i think it's like you know they had a line that said like oh it's it was really nice to you know get out for for once and see something different. Like I think that th there's so few areas that are accessible from the city that like unless you leave, you're you're not going to see water, you're not going to see trees, you're not going to see almost anything. You know, so that was kind of my idea. Is like if you want to leave the 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 utopia, you know, quotes around that of the city, uh, then you have to assume the risk that you're not going to be allowed in. And I kind of like what you're saying, like almost a like a really tyrannical dictator who's imposing some sort of punishment on the people who are leaving the city as a, you know, this, this risk of, of perishing in the tunnels. I think that's an interesting idea. And one, one scene that we haven't talked about, which um, I don't, I don't know what it lends credence to, but it's certainly worth mentioning is that before they enter the tunnel, uh, the father gets out of the car because uh, they're stopped at one point and he makes eye contact with another, another man who's traveling. And it's kind of just like a shrug, like a, Oh, Hey, How's it going? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, which is, I don't know. It's so it's it's hard for me to put my finger on like, I. But that's the point of it. It doesn't want you to like have an answer or have all the answers. It just wants to be a thing that at makes you ask questions, which it does really well. And I don't know. I I, I thought about it for a while, and I feel like I couldn't put together one like realistic or one perfect scenario which like would have caused this civilization or like what's the reason for the death tunnel so mm -hmm. I, which i ended up being happy with because i'll probably still be thinking about it for a while yeah i i really respect when a director uh, or a creator of something leaves as much as he did to the up to your interpretation um a lot of times i think you know maybe producers or studios would be more more insistent on all oh, you kind of have to have your own message like you have to have it and like some sort of you know what your interpretation is but i think i really liked that he kept it very very vague and open he but he, he built a really interesting world and didn't tell us everything about it which i think is is often very very wonderful to have yeah i um, agree and yeah. um to be able to do that in a short that's like less than 10 minutes long um it just takes a lot, and he did it really, really well. 
Yeah, and also we haven't mentioned the production quality on this was super good. I meant to look up the budget figures because it looks extremely nice. For you don't see shorts with the production quality like that very often. Uh, the 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 setting looks really beautiful. The cars in the tunnel look really nice. Like it just looks like a really high quality, high cost film almost. Yes, and I thought that was nice. And while we're on the topic, if uh, I really enjoy horror shorts and I struggle to find ones that I deem good, uh, mm-hmm. so I've got a couple that I want to give a quick recommendation for. Okay. Um, my number one favorite of all time uh, is Lights Out. Yep. It got its own box office movie in 2016 or 2015. Something around there, which uh, wasn't terrible in its own right. Not Not amazing, but not terrible. No, and it was, um, yeah, the movie was good, but the short itself, I think, is like a 90-second or a two-minute short. Yeah, it's real short. At this point, I think um, most of our our friends who have listened to the podcast have seen it, but if you've not seen it, go check it out. Uh, It's well done and a lot of fun. Um, One that's short, as short technically, but it's longer, Um, there is a, I think it's on either Showtime or HBO maybe. Um, it's a series called Room 104. Uh, the basic premise of the series is it's set in this one hotel room, but it's like a revolving door of stories and actors, so it's a kind of a completely fresh concept e- each episode. Mm-hmm. The uh, premiere episode in season one is called Ralphie. And oh, yeah, yeah. That's the only one I've watched of them, but I have seen that. Yeah, so it's basically a babysitter and uh, is watching a little kid in a hotel room, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. Yeah, that's uh, it, the, the description is, based, is things go horribly awry when a babysitter arrives at room 104 to watch an unusual yeah. boy named Ralph. Yeah, Ralphie just ends up being a bit more than the babysitter expected. Yeah, uh, can I throw out one real quick, too, that's kind of a bit goofy to start but it's pretty good sure uh i think you've seen it the it's called the tickle monster mm. uh it's it's in the basic thing it's about a a grunge rapper from the uk who's in a room like writing to some music with a, a friend of his and he keeps like getting like this flitting like kind of flittering touch against his neck or like his arm and something is tickling him and he thinks it's this girl and uh yeah it's just very uh i think creepy and uh, kind of fun. So I think that one's also fun to check out. I've got one more. I've got to remember the name of it. Okay. And I think we actually watched this together. It stars a big name in Amanda Seyfried. And it's called Dog Food. Dog Food. Uh, you're going to maybe have to say a little bit more because that's not ringing a bell to me. So it basically, it, it revolves. The story is about a, um, a butcher and his pet dog. And he, the butcher... Uh, meets this girl, Amanda Seafried, and pursues her relationship with her. And then things go off the rails a little bit, and um, we're presented with a pretty, pretty unique, fun concept. So if you can't remember it, I'd recommend rewatching it or watching <laughs> yeah, it for the I, first I time. Yeah, I kind of, kind of do, but I don't remember what happens. I think I probably saw it, but I'm just forgetting. And once I saw a little bit, I'll be like, oh, yeah. So. Okay, but there's yeah, a, so it's, it's extra suggestions. Yeah, so th- those 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 four are a good place to start. It's uh, it's hard to go down the YouTube rabbit hole. You usually miss more than you hit. So yeah. we figured we'd do the grunt work for you and find a couple that are pretty fun. <laughs> okay, and I guess we'll move right along to what I would call kind of our feature of the episode. Um, it's 
So unfortunately, I didn't have time this week to <clears throat> watch Troll Hunter, and Eric did not have time this week to watch Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is our next movie, but he's seen it much more recently than I've seen Troll Hunter. So he kind of took the lead on Troll Hunter. I'm going to take the lead here, but he should be able to provide a bit more commentary than I did. And we're also going to do this one, I'll say with spoilers. Um, we'll warn you. We'll do it with spoilers. We'll kind of do a bit more of the whole movie because um, this one, this one's really, really good, really atmospheric. I definitely recommend checking it out. One of my favorite um, one of my favorite of the 2010s, really. Um, one of the scarier movie experiences I've ever had. I, when I first watched this, I was watching it on uh, my Kindle in a dark bedroom while my wife was out of town, so I was by myself. And I like I almost had to pause it and just stop because I was very creeped out by it. So it's a very good one that I can give a clean recommendation to. And starting off with it, we have Brian Cox, who is playing Tommy, who is a... Uh, he works as an autopsy, uh, a coroner, I guess. He does autopsies. Uh, Emile Hirsch is his son, who is Austin, who is kind of like an apprentice, uh, apprentice working and learning how to do autopsies. Ophelia Lovabond as his girlfriend, Emma. And Olwyn Catherine Kelly as the titular Jane Doe. So the overall synopsis is a father and son, both coroners, are pulled into a complex mystery while attempting to identify the body of a young woman who is apparently harboring dark secrets. Uh, Eric, you want to give your kind of overall or how you found this movie or your kind of overall initial impressions you had of it? Sure. Uh, so I, uh, I found this movie based on a podcast I listened to. It's called the Horror Movie Podcast, which I'm not sure we've ever recommended on this I think in at least once we did, but I can't remember for sure. Well, if we haven't, uh, we absolutely recommend it. They do a great job. Um, and at the end of each year, they do a top 10 list, and uh, they do a couple different ways to formulate that. And for the year of 2016... Um, Autopsy of Jane Doe found its way onto that list, and uh, I take their take their recommendations pretty pretty seriously. So I watched it, and quite like yourself, I watched it by myself, and I got chilled to the bone. <laughs> I, I really did. And this was um, this was I had uh, I'd say I was just really getting back into horror movies. Like I was still watching a couple every year, but nothing like I do now. And uh, this was one of the first ones that really, really got me back into it. So I definitely credit, credit the uniqueness of this film and how spooky it was with kind of uh, reinstilling my love for the genre again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this movie opens at the crime scene of a middle-aged couple who had been murdered. And in their basement, kind of half buried, you see this really pale, pretty young girl, maybe like around 20, mid-20s. And from there, the mystery begins, because then we just jump right over into the main stage, which is a, our, um, what's the, <laughs> I'm blanking, a morgue, I guess, where the autopsies are performed. So it jumps over to the morgue that's owned by Brian Cox and his son. I have a hard time saying any character name other like you know when when Brian Cox is something in something I always just say Brian Cox I never say his character name <laughs> especially since like he's a middle-aged guy and his name's Tommy like it doesn't really seem to fit to me so I, I just say Brian Cox but uh, <laughs> yeah a bit of a digression um, so this is just a really interesting movie that has kind of a really nice build up to to a point where I'll just say like shit hits the fan <laughs> a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's a literally kind of slow build up and then it's open wide open. So 
the early stages of the autopsy. So Jane, this, this Jane Doe, this young girl, young woman, I guess, early twenties is brought into their, uh, brought into their morgue and they start an autopsy on her. And one thing they do is peel back her eyelids to record her eye color and they're like a very cloudy gray. And so then for most of the movie, you have this expressionless gray eyes just staring up, uh, kind of into the room and to me that was always just extremely creepy it, it kind of sent a it really really created a very creepy visual and uh, I think added to kind of the suspense and unease that slowly kind of starts filling the room and filling our main characters yeah um, absolutely and yeah. I think we should give a lot of credit to Olwyn Catherine Kelly she mm-hmm. played uh, the corpse Jane Doe and uh, that's an incredibly difficult role that most people probably will never have to even consider doing. <laughs> and she did a right. really fantastic job with it. Yeah. Uh, it's also, I wonder how, if it was strange for her, because a lot of the movie, when she doesn't have her chest open, chest pulled open for the autopsy, she has just, she's just sitting naked on a table. Like, I wonder if that was like a bit weird as an actor. I mean, actors are probably used to things like that, but uh, I, I'm always kind of curious how, like what level of comfort they have with those types of things. Yeah, of I things. reckon after a couple hours, you just get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so something I really like with this movie, the whole aesthetic of the autopsy they're performing is really wonderfully framed. You get like really direct, informative kind of tidbits from uh, from Tommy Brian Cox teaching his son, you know, really specific ways of how to do the autopsy. Um, they had a really, really great cinema cinematograph cinematographical, if that's a word, shot where when they finally do the incision on the chest after kind of the preliminary examination and start to open up her chest cavity, she started bleeding and the blood drains down in these kind of perpendicular lines and all meets and pools at the very bottom of the table. And I thought the cinematography there was just great. And this whole movie, the cinematography is very on point because the setting is not very big. And so the shots all kind of have to look good and they do look really good. Yes, for Uh, sure. Uh, One thing I liked in this movie, uh, some people don't like this, um, don't like the idea of like when you see a scene and you know like it's not like inconsequential and it's going to come back later um and so the scene i'm specifically talking about is when they're talking about some of the corpses they have in the morgue and they have a bell tied Mm -hmm. around the ankle because it's in case somebody technically wakes up they gotta let us know um and you obviously don't put that in this movie unless you're going to hear a bell (laughs) at some Mm -hmm. point down the road. Um, I didn't care. I was just too excited about that idea because I've, I've gone through periods where I get like super terrified of being buried alive, which is why I'm going to get cremated when I eventually (laughs) eventually die. Uh, So again, there's always those stories about like, yeah, you put the bell or you put a string in somebody's coffin so they can pull on a bell above the ground and, I really like that they brought that kind of uh, urban legend to life in this movie. Yeah, I think that in this day and age, they're much better about recognizing when someone's actually dead. So being buried alive probably isn't a real big threat. But the idea of that, especially in olden times when it wasn't, you know, if someone was in a coma or their heart rate was slowed down so much that someone couldn't tell. And then they would find like scratch marks in the coffin. That is just absolutely horrifying. Uh, yeah, that's probably like my greatest fear because I'm pretty claustrophobic. And so being in a place where you could barely lazy, raise your arms, it's pitch black. Oof, oof, oof. Yeah, that's a that's a no-go from me. 
Uh, okay, so going forward, they set this up pretty early on, like around the corners in the hallways of the auto of the morgue. They have like these kind of big mirrors, like you see kind of on some streets or in some buildings, like a lot of times hospitals have them. So you can kind of see into the upcoming corridor when there's a turn. And one of the very first things that is going to become kind of a recurring, uh, uh, recurring occurrence, I guess, is... Uh, when the son, Austin, is walking through the hallway to go get something, he sees something like a figure, like a kind of shrouded figure in the mirror. So that there's something in the hallway, and he's like, we should be the only two people here. So he's like kind of approaches and turns, and then it's just gone. Uh, there's a lot of kind of cerebral tricks that are played, and a lot of things you're like, you don't really know if it's there or not, or something's happening or not that come into this movie. And that's kind of the first one that really sets that stage. And I really liked the use of the mirrors in the corridors, because that's going to be call uses a callback later on so it's a nice setup there yes absolutely it's something that's such a simple idea um easy to pull off but very effective when it's done right yeah and so as they're doing the autopsy um something is super wrong with this girl she had both wrists and both ankles broken but there were no outward signs she had massive smoke damage to her lungs like to the point where the the lead autopsy tommy the lead autopsy guy coroner i guess I was like, well, you could smoke, you know, 10 packs a day for 50 years. Your lungs would never get this black. It looked like she was burned alive. But again, her skin looks perfect and flawless. And then they find this um, rolled up piece of like parchment in a sack in, I think, close to her stomach. And it's uh, revealed to have like Leviticus verse. And it talks about witchcraft. And they start to put some clues together. Like they find peat under her nails and she uh so they're like oh she came from up north and then some of something was aged towards being a couple hundred years old and they come to the conclusion that she was living in the northeast united states back in like the 1600s so it's say you think salem and you think witchcraft so uh even if uh they don't know if she was a witch they uh, pretty much assume that she was treated like a witch and that's where I, where all these injuries came from her legs and arms were broken her tongue was cut out she was um they mentioned that she had like cuts uh cups uh cuts like in her uh in her uh in her privates which is just really gross visual and so like a lot of just torture happened to her and as they're kind of going forward in this autopsy you get a lot of interference you get the lights flickering you get the radio changing to this really creepy christian singing you get uh some banging and stuff and eventually uh Tommy and the son are just like, okay, let's get the F out of here. There's something is weird. We don't know what's going on. They, they, they know that the, the, somehow this girl is controlling things and they try to leave, but are ultimately, uh, you know, our, our Jane Doe does not want them to leave. And she kind of controls that. There's a, a, a I mean, they get to a scene where she inadvertently or maybe purposely gets set on fire and eventually it just kind of quells on its own and she's again perfectly fine. Her skin is untouched and yeah so the two are pretty much just full-on panic at panic at panic at this point um they're being chased through the hallways by some of the corpses who are ringing their bells as they're coming for them so they know what's coming for them which is just super creepy you mentioned that earlier with the bells eric like before they saw anything they would just hear a like a ringing ringing like with the bell that's a terrible bell sound but uh, they, uh, you'd hear like this bell and then, so, you know, like this corpse is getting up and one of the corpses like is missing part of his face. The other one's burnt really bad. And, uh, in a panic move, we get Austin who swings, uh, 
I think he swings something sharp. I should have taken better notes, but he ends up uh, you know, impaling one of these corpses, but then we get a nice little switcheroo here, and uh, it was him killing his girlfriend who had come back to pick him up after seeing a movie. So that's a pretty brutal way to add to mounting insanity and unease that's existing here. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, Eric, so it's been a little while since you've seen it, but to me, this, this has a very strong Mike Flanagan vibes. Like I would, if, if I were to know that Mike Flanagan directed this, it, I wouldn't blink. Like it seems very much up his alley. Like, especially Oculus is one that really kind of fit with me, but also Hill House, just the style and how it kind of plays out. Like it really, really made me think of Mike Flanagan. Yeah, I could, could definitely see that. Uh, especially when you consider, so not only is like the theme of death prevalent just because they're morticians working in a morgue, but also we slowly kind of find out more about the death of their mother and how that plays into their relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's clearly something that Flanagan uh, relies on heavily is those familial relationships. And um, especially when you get to the point where you were mentioning where they were seeing corpses, uh, you get that full face of death looking right at you and you kind of see what people's responses are to it and uh, mm-hmm. yeah so Fl- flanagan comparisons actually really super on point in my opinion yeah especially since i've been really seeing a lot of flanagan stuff lately like like this just really kind of fit in with the with a lot of his extended work for me so okay so like i said earlier they didn't know before but they kind of come to a conclusion that okay this girl was probably part of the salem witch trials she was treated as a witch uh brian cox has the idea well, maybe she wasn't a witch, but potentially these people created the monster that they were trying to quell. Like she was just a normal person, but by doing all these torturous, like ridiculously hor- horrific things to this person, that they've created some sort of being who is exacting revenge on other people because she's showed up other places before, and there's always problems with the people who ends up around her. And uh, Brian Cox says, you know, this is her revenge. This is her ritual. So even though she may not have been a witch to start, she is something now. And uh yeah brian cox comes to the conclusion somehow that if he absorbs kind of what happened to her if he kind of has dealt the punishment directly like everything that happened to her if like she forces onto him that she can be at peace and so you get this pretty brutal scene where you can see his wrists breaking his ankles breaking he's in agony he falls to the floor you know that other things are happening to him you know he's his insides are being torn up he's being you know the the insides are being burned most likely and as this is happening like the gray cloud from her eyes is starting to fade and she becomes to look more and more like a normal human but and i just gotta say this i know your dad is immensely suffering austin but you couldn't wait like one more minute because he ends up mercy killing his dad and his dad (laughs) was clearly doing this for a reason and austin just goes goes ahead and mercy kills him when they looked like it was like 10 seconds away from maybe just being completely over and he would have most likely died anyways, or then you can mercy kill him, whatever, you know, you do you Austin, but this, this decision-making here, like, I think it's a, I think it's realistic. Like you're, if you see someone you're loving or someone you love, who's just being physically in at this point, mentally just tormented and torn apart. Yeah. You're going to want to try to help them any way you can, but come on, man, <laughs> just come on. That's all I got to say with with Austin. There. Uh, love's an a po- powerful emotion. It's 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 tough to be in that situation to see somebody you love in that kind of pain. But uh, no, I agree. I mean, either either do it do it before it starts, or yeah, let him uh, let him let him maybe help you. Like you don't you, obviously this situation's beyond your comprehension, but maybe maybe he's right. Maybe he can 
get you out safe, at least give it a shot. But uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so then this movie wraps up with, so there's been a storm that's raging the entire movie pretty much as they're doing this autopsy and it starts to clear a little bit and then there's um, someone banging on the door like police that are here that they had called before and the police are finally here and Austin's trying to open the door and for some reason it's stuck and he's like he's like crying he's like I can't open it I can't open it and then Brian Cox shows up and, you know corpse Brian Cox or <laughs> corpse Brian Cox or is it just another plaything used by our Jane Doe um, because it causes Austin to fall off the stairs and eventually uh, he is just uh, also killed so the the police who comes investigate is like super confused he's like you know these I know this guy super well I know the uh, I know Brian Cox he would never you know he wouldn't kill himself and then his son or his son wouldn't kill him like there this, this just doesn't make sense and just uh, they're, they're just completely confused and really flabbergasted. And so the last shot of the movie is Jane Doe being transferred in the back of a ambulance. And you hear they're listening to a certain type of music. And then as kind of the camera pans to her, the music shifts to that really creepy Christian singing that had kind of kept switching during the movie. And it's like, all right, well, she's still there. Yep, she all, still all over there. again. Someone else has got to deal with it. Yep, it's a cycle. It is a cycle. It is. I love the, the quote. This is her revenge. This is her ritual. Uh, they weren't able to end it. And Brian Cox even said, like, nobody has ever known this much. Like, we're the closest to being able to stop her that anybody's ever been because, like, we've actually done this autopsy. We understand. And unfortunately, Austin just had to go and ruin things. And it's it's you obviously aren't rooting for Jane Doe, but you can understand her plight at least a oh, little yeah. bit. Um, it's just sad that it happens to such good characters and there's no, uh, there's no winning, I guess, for the viewer, especially no. as you, you leave with that glimpse into another situation on the horizon. Yeah. I mean, so essentially Jane Doe is t- taking out this anger and frustration for being falsely treated. I mean, there in, in, in real life, there were, there were women who were accused of being witches. And a lot of times it's like, well, we'll throw you in a lake if you, with weights attached to if you float you're a witch if not you're cleansed and you go to heaven or something it's like well that's stupid (laughs) you know like that's kind of made fun of in other things like monty python but like that actually did happen like that was some of the tests to determine if you were a witch or if you were involved in witchcraft it was like we'll put you in this life-threatening situation and if you survive you're guilty and that means you're a witch and then we'll kill you but if you die you are innocent and you're cleansed or something so yeah pretty pretty brutal um and also kind of you know getting its roots from things that actually happened. So, yes, this one was very, very good to me. The atmosphere, like I said, is phenomenal. So we spoiled the plot here, but I would still recommend seeing it because just I think it'll still be creeped out. It's a really, really atmospheric, tense movie to watch and uh, shot very well. And I think just a really, really fun one overall. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's one that's sitting around a 6.8 on IMDb, which is a uh, fairly solid score for IMDb. Uh, I'm, I've got it quite a bit higher. I've got it around eight and a half out of 10. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be pretty similar. I think this one was close to, I maybe had an honorable mention in my, when I was making my top 30, or maybe it was even towards the end of it, but uh, one that I really, really enjoy. Yes. And uh, so I was reading a little bit of trivia about the movie, and this is obviously quite a, quite a leap from Troll Hunter, uh, completely different atmosphere, completely different idea everything about it is different it's also in english instead of in norwegian and uh, apparently um 
our director friend here was inspired after seeing The Conjuring to want to direct a uh, horror movie. And so he said, uh, someone bring me a script. They brought him this script and he loved it and he dove full in. Okay. I really like that little tidbit. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. And uh, based off the quote that I shared at the start of this episode about, oh, I let the, you know, I let the actors say whatever they wanted as long as they didn't say what was in the script because he was also the writer for that movie. Uh, I just like his attitude and he's he's created two very very memorable horror movies and this is why and we also really liked that short that he made so this is why we're excited about him as a director that's going to be coming uh, doing an adaptation of uh, scary stories to tell in the dark which is going to come out in 2019 and i'm sure we'll have an episode about that because i'm pretty interested in seeing that one in theaters just based off it's you know based off the the, the the books which were super popular and then based off the pedigree of the man who's going to be kind of helming the adaptation so yes. uh, very excited for that in the future Yes, and if anybody listening has any experience with reading those books, they came out between the 80s, 1981 and 1991. Uh, if you've got any uh, anything recommendations for us, if we, you think we should read one over another, or if we think we should just go in blind, we can still have fun with it, or anything that you liked about it, just let us know, because we're pretty unfamiliar with the, the works themselves. We're familiar with the concept. It sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, we're ex- obviously excited for the movie. So if you uh, if you uh, campaign hard enough, I'm sure you could get us to at least dive into one of those books before. Yeah, the- I would love to read them before the, the movie comes out. And Eric, just in general, like, you know, people who listen to the pod, if you got it on your regular rotation, feel free to hit us up. Like I said, we have our Gmail plug. We have our Twitter plug. Uh, this is kind of making us look bad, but we still have yet to get a single mention on either of those sites about the podcast. No questions, no comments. Uh, so if anyone wants to share anything about this episode or a previous episode, we are would always be happy to read it and uh, most likely respond on air if you... Uh, have any uh, a question or a note about something we've said so yeah we would uh, love that input and uh we had fun making this episode and like i said we're excited for the future uh what holds for andre overdahl thanks for tuning in to the jumping scared podcast have any questions comments just want to share your horror movie opinions with us feel free to reach us at jumping scared podcast on twitter or by email, jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.